Sentire Media. In his early 20s, Salvatore Grigoli was doing well for himself. He had a pretty good job in construction, he was a hard worker. This was exactly what he needed to support his young wife and the baby that was on its way. Then, he lost his job. With a young family to support and in desperate need of work, he was a perfect target for the Mafia. They took him in and made him into one of their most effective killers. Among the dozens of murders he committed, one in particular stuck in his memory. It did so due to the reaction of the victim, a smile. Grigoli would later say that there was a certain light in that smile, a smile that had given him an immediate impulse. He would never forget it. Grigoli, as was the usual procedure, did not know his victim beforehand or even what he looked like, so he was accompanied by others who did. Indeed, it was one of these accomplices, Gaspare Spatuzza, who actually approached the victim, put his hand on his bag and said, Father, this is a robbery. It was then that the man smiled, a smile of acceptance and understanding, and said, I was expecting you. Grigoli then killed the man with a shot to the back of the head with a 7.65 caliber handgun with a silencer. The assassination team then disappeared into the evening. The man lay dying in Piazza Anita Garibaldi, dressed in the black clothes and white collar of a Catholic priest. Despite the fact that he had been killed towards evening in full light and someone must have seen or heard something, no one saw, no one heard, no one spoke. The Mafia Code of Silence Omerta, was well respected in the Brancaccio quarter of Palermo. However, the friends of the victim did go to the body not long afterwards, respecting the request that he had made some months earlier. Knowing what was coming, he had asked them, please, don't let my body be alone for too long. The man died later in the hospital. It was the 15th of September, 1993, his 56th birthday. He was Father Pino Pulisi, and he was an anti-mafia martyr. The story of Father Pino Pulisi allows us to take a look, albeit by far a non-exhaustive look, at the relationship between the church and the mafia, at least on an official level. You could say that the relationship was characterized by three distinct moments of coexistence, 
competition and open conflict. When Italy was united in 1861, the church and the mafia had a common enemy, the new Italian state. Then, between the two world wars, perhaps due to the dwindling political power of the church, it started to do its job a bit more and work for the hearts and minds and, of course, souls of the parish members, in competition with the beliefs and rituals of Cosa Nostra, who would always prefer a church that minded its own business, staying in the internal private religious realm. In the last episode on Carlo Alberto dalla Chiesa, we spoke of one of the moments in which the competition phase turned into open conflict, when the Archbishop of Palermo, Papalardo, thundered against the Mafia and the men of power from Rome at the funeral of Dalla Chiesa in 1982. Cosa Nostra then made its position clear when on the 27th of April 1983, Archbishop Papalardo was boycotted on his visit to the Ucciardone prison in Palermo. In 1993, Pope John Paul II made his historical visit to the Valley of the Temples in Agrigento, Sicily. After holding Mass there, he shouted angrily against the Mafia and their culture of death, saying, To those responsible, convert! One day the judgment of God will come. Later that same month, Cosa Nostra placed a bomb outside the Uffizi Gallery in Florence, which killed five people. In July, there was a direct attack on the church in Rome, with bombs placed near San Giorgio in Valabro and at the Lateran. Then, in September, the killing of Pino Pugliesi. Sicily has always been a deeply religious region and the Mafia has tried to create its own version of Catholicism, a Catholicism within Catholicism, made of its code of honour and religious star rituals, but in stark contrast with the true message of the Gospel. Traditional family values and relations also play an important part, with the Mafia women playing an important role, not only to pass on messages, but also to maintain the positive image of fathers, brothers and sons who are perhaps in prison or in hiding. Religion is one of the elements that the Mafia need to implement a system of quasi-totalitarian control over society. This was the battleground of Padre Pino Pugliesi. 3P for his friends, of whom he had many. Indeed, friendship was one of Pugliese's weapons in his fight against injustice and violence. He defined friendship as a non-sporadic victory over solitude. This mild and simple priest fought the Mafia with his faith, his words, his culture and the network of friends and volunteers he inspired. In his early 30s, he experienced the devastating aftermath of the earthquake in Belice, in western Sicily. But the true test of his faith started when in 1970 he was sent to take care of the little parish in the mountain town of Godrano, also in western Sicily. It lays on the outside of a great forest called Bosco della Ficuzza, a place where the mafia 
could hide out and would often clash with rivals. Indeed, on the other side of the forest from Godrano lies Corleone, the so-called birthplace of the Mafia. When 3P arrived in Godrano in 1970, he found an ongoing feud that had lasted since 1901 between the Lorello and Barbaccia families and connected factions. In those almost 70 years, there had been attacks on property, on the livestock that was the livelihood of most in the area, and over 40 murders. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but when you consider that the population was around 1,200, that's well over 3% of the population. The town had created an endless chain of action and reaction made of hate. Don Pino decided to start by working on the weak links of that chain, the women and children who were therefore the strongest assets in his work for reconciliation. There was only one problem. The hate had run so deep that this profoundly religious community would not even go to church for fear of having to be in the same room with the opposing faction. Don Pino did not lose heart. He simply decided if the parishioners weren't coming to the church, the church would go to the parishioners, so he started organising dinners and meetings in people's homes. At a certain point, a woman told the priest that she could not continue to organise the dinners if she could not make peace with the mother of her son's killer. She wanted to, but could not find the opportunity without undergoing the criticism of her own faction. Don Pino told her to be patient and that God would provide an opportunity. A short time later, the mother of the killer fell and hurt herself outside the house of the mother of the victim. The latter rushed out to help her and took her inside and the two women made peace. By the time Pino Pulisi left Godrano in 1978, the feud, which had lasted over three quarters of a century, was over. The 80s for Italy and Sicily were the period of the Piola Torre and Dalla Chiesa killings, the new anti-mafia laws and the Maxi Processo, the widespread anti-mafia trials starting in 1986 that saw many bosses put behind bars. The total number of years in prison handed out to the over 460 accused was 2,665, including 40 life sentences. For Padre Pino Pulisi, it was a time of continued activity within the church, but also out in society, as a religion teacher in schools and organising summer camps, talking to everyone, the old, the young, but especially leaving his mark on many children and young people who would later fight by his side and would continue the fight after his death. The people who knew him all say that he had a gift and could talk about anything with anyone, but most of all, he really knew how to listen. As the 80s gave way to the 90s, the Mafia started to lose its traditional points of reference. The end of the Cold War and the corruption scandals that rocked Italy took away one of the main political reference points of Cosa Nostra, the Christian Democrat Party. 
there was growing resistance from members of society who were no longer willing to bow their heads and accept the status quo. And, as we have seen, the church was becoming more openly critical of the criminal organisation. The Mafia was still rich and powerful, but it was surprised and confused. This made it even more dangerous. On the 29th of September 1990, Padre Pino Pulisi was back home where he had spent his childhood, in his native Brancaccio, a neighbourhood in the east of Palermo. Brancaccio at the time belonged solely and exclusively to the Mafia. It was their training ground and political experimentation lab. It was a place where well-known mafiosi in hiding could go without having to worry too much. Up until the 80s, there had not even been a police station there, and when construction started on one, a bomb was placed on the site. Every business in Brancaccio paid the pizzo, the protection racket money collected by Cosa Nostra, either in cash or favours. Sometimes the procedure was even more subtle. Say, for example, you have a construction business. Someone comes to you saying that their friend or relative needs a job done. You do the job, and of course you give said friend or relative a nice big discount, and of course you give a finder's fee to the one who came to you in the first place. Whatever form it took, one thing was for certain. Everyone paid the pizza. Even thieves and criminals so they could operate in certain areas. The men who ruled over all of this were the Graviano brothers, Filippo, but most of all his brother Giuseppe, known as Madre Natura, Mother Nature. While most of Brancaccio lived in poverty, they and their associates were living the good life. The most pressing issue for Father Pino Pulisi when he arrived in 1990 were the children of Brancaccio. It was the only area in Palermo that did not have a middle school. The children there, if they went to school at all, would do their five years of elementary school and then head off to the street, where you would roam around in gangs, playing and committing petty crimes, waiting for the mafia to pick them up and use them for little jobs and then throw them back into the streets. Once, when Don Pino asked a child why he didn't want to do his first communion, the boy told the priest that if he did, he could no longer steal, and if he no longer brought anything home, his parents would beat him. The children of Brancaccio were known as the figli del vento, the children of the wind, buffeted by fate and moved around to be picked up and put back down again at the mafia's beck and call. They were a very cheap and convenient source of labour. They were good spies, and education would have interfered greatly with this system. The children of the wind and the middle school they had every right to have were among Padre Pino Pugliese's first battles. The first step was actually getting these kids off the street and into the parish. The answer to that was easy. We're talking Italy here, and what can you use to lure in any self-respecting, red-blooded Italian somewhere? That's right, football, in the sense of soccer. One of the first projects, one of the first projects was to build a decent football field they could play in, and once he had them on the field, 
Then he also had their attention. One of the volunteers of Don Puglisi, whom the priest took away from his road to becoming a mafioso and later became a collaborator with the magistrates, remembers that once the kids had broken a window with the ball. They had been afraid that Don Pino would be angry. He told the volunteer to go round and count the windows that were still intact. When the number came back, he said, Good, there are plenty more windows to break. Football, however, was not enough. Puglisi wanted to take back, of course, the places that belonged to his church, the Paris, the procession for the local patron and so on, but also more, much more. That is where the Centro Padre Nostro, the Our Father Centre, came into the picture, and from its very birth, it was a blow to the Brancaccio Mafia's operations. The building that became the Centro Padre Nostro was being used by the Mafia as a weapons deposit, so when Puglisi decided he would have his centre there, it was the first blow. The second was taking away their cheap labour. He was determined to offer the children an alternative to street life. It was an alternative they liked. A ray of hope had illuminated Brancaccio. Don Puglisi could not do everything on his own, but, but priests were in short supply, so the bishop sent some nuns, in particular Sister Carolina Yavazzo and a young priest, Gregorio Porcaro, to join a growing army of volunteers. Don Puglisi's real obsession became the middle school. He saw it as an important element to give the children of Brancaccio that alternative to street life that we spoke of. The local authorities got quite a shock when they met the priest and his local committee who were insisting on these children having a school built and weren't offering anything in return. No favours and, worst of all, no votes, which was one of the main currencies for the Christian Democrats in Sicily. The children were the starting point and his main focus, but that was not all. He was interested in the elderly having somewhere they could be cared for. He was interested in helping young people get houses without having to get permission from Cosa Nostra, thanks also to the help of spontaneous committees of citizens. He was dedicated to having running water without owing Cosa Nostra, to have jobs without owing Cosa Nostra, and so on. In short, he wanted the people of Brancaccio to learn the lesson that Dalla Chiesa had also tried to teach, that all of what the Mafia gave and called favours were really the basic rights of citizens. In his own words, he wanted to free his people from evil. The Mafia was not pleased. The Graviano brothers and another local boss, Antonio Mangano, sent threats to Don Pino and his collaborators. They started a campaign to discredit his centre, which was accused of being a place for undercover policemen and informers. It did not matter that this was not true. Like in a totalitarian regime, all the Mafia had to do was accuse, and you were automatically guilty. As the campaign heated up, Don Puglisi was physically assaulted, and he made a public plea to the mafiosi. Let's talk, he said. Let's explain. I would like to know you and understand the reasons why you wish to stop those who are trying to teach your children about the law, to respect each other, 
the value of study and culture. The Mafia was not willing to talk. Its members, who liked to call themselves men of honour, stayed in the shadows. While accusing Pugliese of harbouring informers, they sent their own to his centre, as well as relying on the information from a local doctor to observe his moves and the times he left and returned. This was the grey area of the population that the organisation could rely on without getting too close, not in the Mafia, but collaborating with it. Don Pino Pulisi knew very well what danger he was in. He tried to be alone as much as possible, especially toward evening, so no one would be caught in the crossfire. He could have run from Brancaccio, he could have saved his life. He chose not to. As the summer of 1993 drew to a close, the bosses Giuseppe and Filippo Graviano gave the order. It was supposed to look like a robbery gone bad. Nobody was fooled. Salvatore Grigoli's bullet put an end to the struggle of Father Pino Puglisi for the heart and soul of Brancaccio. Once again, the Mafia had gone a step too far, and Don Pino had sowed far too much hope and that friendship which he prized so much. The smile stayed with his killer, who perhaps due to that moment later became a collaborator. The same was true of the man who had pointed out Pugliese to the killer, Gaspare Spatuzza. Interestingly, it was also the later testimony of Spatuzza that allowed magistrates to investigate and condemn Marcello de Lutri for external involvement in mafia association. Marcello de Lutri was the mastermind behind the formation of a new political party in the 90s, Forza Italia, the party of a certain Silvio Berlusconi. We have done two episodes on the mafia so far, and Berlusconi's name has come up in both. Anyone noticing a pattern there? Those who ordered the killing, the Graviano brothers are both serving life sentences. Today, if you visit Brancaccio and go to Piazza Anita Garibaldi, where Pino Pulisi was killed, you will find his statue. If you happen to live in Brancaccio and are aged between 11 and 13, you will most likely attend the Don Pino Pulisi Middle School. This is the point in which we go into the whole Don Pino's legacy lives on and so forth, and that is actually true. The people he inspired went on to continue his struggle against the Mafia, and they still do. However, my consideration regards something different. I don't have the faith to say if John Paul II was right when he shouted to the Mafiosi that the judgment of God would come, but there are other forms of afterlife. It's the one in which you can either be the child or friend or a parent of a Don Pulisi, a Dalla Chiesa, a Dalla Torre, Falcone or Borsellino, and hold your head up high and be proud of your lost loved ones. Or you could be with the Rina, the Provenzano, Graviano, Messina Denaro, Spada, and so on, living with a full sense of honour, but really knowing that you can only lurk in the shadows of infamy.
Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.